0: You're listening to a teaching series by Cross Culture Church of Christ. If you'd like any more information about our church, head to crossculture.net.au. Feel free to share this podcast with others, but please don't alter the content in any way. We hope you enjoy it. I was so encouraged this morning to receive an email report from our teams in Pakistan reporting about their ministry in the midst of the worldwide lockdown, restrictions on traveling, borders being closed. uh, Many of us wonder what kind of ministry is still left to do um, in light of all these restrictions. But our team in Pakistan have gone out, reaching their neighbors, the communities, with packages of food and household items. Uh, They have raised enough money on their own. They have um, recruited a lot of people from the churches and uh, reaching out to the community and the people who are poor, daily wage workers, highly dependent on odd jobs and because of the shutdown these people were without food, uh, without work and without work they had no income and without income they have no food to eat. So OM Pakistan is out on the streets reaching out to these people with some basic necessities such as food rice and um, and household essentials and their goal is that by easter a week or so from now that they will um, be able to reach over a thousand families so they saw the needs and they responded now c.s lewis one of my favorite christian authors once said christianity if false is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Now, if we look at this statement carefully, we will come to the conclusion and the realization that there are consequences for us as Christians. Anything infinite important to God should also be for us. You cannot read the Bible objectively without concluding that God acts in this world, and He equips His children to act likewise. That's what mission is. Always, our prime example is Jesus. I would like to begin this morning's sessions with you um, by reading the Scripture. Please turn your Bible to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine, and we will begin reading from verses thirty-five. Matthew 9, verses 35 onwards. And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. And Jesus went. The word went is the past tense of the word go. Now Jesus can tell us to go because he went. And Jesus never asked us to do anything he has not already done. He would not have asked us to go if he had not already gone. Now, question is, where did Jesus go? Notice here, in the scripture it said, that Jesus went to all the towns and all the villages. It didn't say that Jesus went to some places of the cities. It did not say that Jesus went to most places of the of the country. It says here that Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And do you know why? Let me tell you why. It is because Jesus believes not only in the importance of evangelism, but also an importance of missions. Now you may ask the questions, what is the difference between evangelism and, and missions? Evangelism is reaching people who don't believe in Jesus. Missions is reaching people who don't know that it's a Jesus to believe in. So Jesus went throughout all the villages and all the cities. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 to 43, Uh, Jesus gave his reason. So here it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 42, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Now let me pause for a moment to say this. Jesus kept a busy schedule. He is moving from places to places, redeeming the time that he has, reaching out to the people. But he has his priority right in that he constantly was recharging himself. He had a time with God and allowed God to minister to him, to fill him. And Jesus serves out of abundance, not out of an empty tank. And this is a good principle for all of us to follow, especially for those of us in leadership, that we are to take time. We are constantly giving out, ministering to people, but we must take time to be alone with God and allow God to minister to us, to fill us, and to recharge us. So this was what Jesus did. And now he was in a solitary place, and then people were looking for him. And then when they came to him, to where he was, They tried to keep him from leaving. They said, stay with us. Don't go. You know, we want you here. And Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. So Jesus was a man on the mission. And then in verse 35, it says here, that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus ministered to the mental, the physical, and the spiritual needs of the people. Then, moving on to verse 36, then he said, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And if you want to, I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to underline or circle the words saw and had compassion. These two words are connected by another word, when. The word when is the time that provides the occasion. The when led him to go. He went and he saw, and when he saw, he responded. The Greek word for compassion means deep love or deep hatred. Some, same words to describe the feeling of two opposite meanings. I was a director for OM's work for China for several years, and in May 12, 2008, a massive earthquake hit the province of Sichuan. Some 68,000 people had lost their lives. Uh, when I first heard of the earthquake, many of the people and friends have asked me to go with them to offer some help of any kind. and um, But I wasn't interested. I don't want to be involved because um, I had no interest in the relief work and it wasn't part of my plan. But at the invitations of these people, I've decided that I would go along and see, um, see what was going on. And, um, and when I went, everything I saw changed what I wanted to do in China. Now I, I was invited to one of the, to, to, to the epicenter of the earthquake And I was given a pass arranged by some government officials where even local reporters and foreign reporters were not allowed into the area. And when I was visiting the area accompanied by some officials, um, I saw a group of soldiers working to remove some rocks, some stones from a a, a pile of rubble. And there in the midst of all this uh, clearing, there was a woman and she was, you know, her hair was uncapped, and you know, she looks distressed and she was shouting and shouting into the stones. And then she will walk around a few paces around and then she will squat there in this pile of rubble. And there she will shout and something in the local language and, and, uh, and she repeated that several times and her voice was coarse and, uh, and she was distraught. And uh, I, I didn't understand uh, the local dialects, and then, um, then I asked one of, the, one of the soldiers there, working to remove all the stones and all that. And, um, and the soldiers said to me that this lady had been there for several days. She and her family were inside their bo- ground floor apartment having lunch, And then on that moment when she stepped outside of the apartment just to pick up something, the earthquake took place and the whole five-story apartment collapsed. All her family members were buried underneath their rubbles, her husband, her children, and her grandchildren. And she had been there for several days, shouting their names and calling them to respond so that she could ask the soldiers to help her undig the stones and to to, to rescue the family members. You know, in the past, I had flippantly prayed the prayer, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. And I found this prayer. Someone had given it to me to be attractive, and I repeated it without really meaning it. Well, God dealt with me that day. What I saw broke my heart. I went to a corner. I sat by the piles of rubble, and I was overwhelmed. And I was emotionally, and I started to cry. I cannot handle what I saw. The pain, the sorrow, the helplessness, the hopelessness. My heart was filled with a deep anguish and compassion. And for the victims and the family, um, what I saw stirred me to do something about it. You know when I went to China I made a plan for what I wanted to do as the leader of OMS work in China. I wanted to mobilize the Chinese church into missions because I thought that was a thing to do. But God led me instead to build a welfare center for the people who were affected by the earthquake and much later on for anyone who can benefit from the help of the center. It was a very different plan from what I had originally intended. A Bible teacher uh, once explained about Jesus' feeling in verse 36. The word compassion was too inadequate a word to fully describe how Jesus felt. He, this, this Bible teacher described Jesus' feeling is like his stomach got tied into a knot when he saw that the crowds were harass, harassed and a helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever had a feeling before? You know, to have your stomach tied into a knot. Uh, That's what people get when they receive bad news or devastating news. You know, they just feel sick to the stomach. So what, what is it that ties your stomach to a knot? What was it that moved Jesus, that tied his stomach to a knot? Now, it was the lost people, the marginalized, the least rich, the people, who are going into eternity without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So when he saw the crowd, his stomach got tied to a knot. You know, when we talk about the missions of God, are we as a church really, really concerned for the lost people? I mean, you know, really, really concerned for the lost soul. Missions was birthed by Christ with the conviction that every man and every woman should have the opportunity to repent and accept God's plan for salvation. And it is this conviction that drove Jesus to go from town to town, village to village, to preach the good news of God. Is this conviction still true today? I recently shared about the plight of the Syrian refugees in a public meeting somewhere in Europe and i told them the opportunity that god has given to us to reach the muslim nations these are the people that we pray for these are the countries that were close to the gospel and now a window was opened and the refugees was able to came out were able to come out of the country to a land where they can hear the gospel freely so i was sharing about the needs in this place and no one was interested no one responded no one wanted to get involved or help. Why are we not moved for the lost? Is there a reason, any reason today, why God's people are not moved for the lost? Is it materialism? Is it because we are afraid to lose our positions of importance? Is it comfort? Is it because we cannot bear to leave our loved ones? I don't know. And I'm asking the question why? Why? Well, the reasons are given to us in the scripture. When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them, and he has his stomach tied to a knot. And why are we not moved? We are not moved, one of the reasons is because we are not going, we are not looking. Now, it was in in this country that suffered a major earthquake, but I was not moved until I went. And when I went, I saw, and when I saw, I felt, and when I felt, I acted. Jesus was moved because he looked. You know, there was a story about this man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of the robbers, and he was badly beaten. You know the story. So the priest came along. He happened to come by on the same road, and he saw this injured man. And he walked over to the other side and went on his way a priest then came along a levite a levite was a servant of the temple and he did the very same thing the priest did he saw this injured man on the road and then he went over the other side of the road and then he passed by this man and he went on his way then came the samaritan man this man stopped and he looked and when he looked He was moved, and when he was moved, he had compassion. And you know the rest of the story. He took this injured man to the inn, and he told the innkeeper, look after this man while I'm gone, and anything that is short, I will come back and make up for it. The Samaritan stopped, and when he stopped, he took time, and he looked exactly what happened to the man. He saw the injuries that both the priests and the Levites did not see, and he had compassion, and he acted. I did not imagine this story. It's Bible stuff. You know that is why mobilizing people for missions, short-term missions, and mission camps and conferences are so important. That is why churches like the Cross Cultural Church have their missions convention, because in, it is through these conventions, through these conferences, that they show the people of the world that needs Jesus and challenge them to look. Moving on to verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And here Jesus was using a farming analogy to get his point across. So let's imagine two farmers were talking to one another, and one says, oh, how is the harvest? And the other guy says, oh, the harvest is full, it's plentiful. This is farm talk. Yeah, what does it mean? It means it is a bumper crop. When Jesus made the statement, he was at the height of his popularity. He was at the peak of his ministry. People were coming to faith, believing and following him. It was a bumper crop. The harvest was plentiful. The statement was true at the time he made it. And if you look at the world today, it is even more exciting. More and more people today are coming to personal faith in our Lord Jesus Christ than ever before in the history of mankind. I share this many times in many meetings, and I will share it again with you. In the year that I was born, there were about 85 million, 90 million Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not including the Christians in general, like the Catholics and other groups, I'm just saying these were the Bible-believing followers of Jesus. About 85 million, that was the estimate. And today it is estimated to be about 900 million Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ. So in the span of 60 plus years, the percentage of Christians have increased from 4% to 12% of the world's entire population. It took 2,000 years from Jesus' time you know, to reach 4% and only 60 years to reach 12%. This is wonderful news. In China, you know, as you said, towards the end of the 1940s when the communists took over control of the nation, there were less than 1 million Bible-believing Christians in China. And then they began to systematically... Remove Christianity out of China. They burned the scriptures. They used, they converted churches and seminaries into hospitals and storerooms and, 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 and printing shops and markets. And, um, and for 40 years, the world didn't hear much from China. But today, it is estimated that there are over 100 million Christians, Bible-believing Christians. In China, praise the Lord. In Indonesia, Muslims are coming to faith. I was in the um, in a meeting, and I met a, a, a Indonesian pastors that told me that five thousand Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus every week. Five thousand Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus, and then that is true in the Middle East. That is true in Africa, and wherever you go, you could see that the harvest is planted really plentiful. It is true in the days of Jesus and it is true today. So Jesus is not talking about the reap harvest, but the unreap harvest. So while we have the good news that more and more people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus today, but here's the reality. Here's the the bad news. Nine out of ten people in the world today are still outside of a personal faith in Christ Jesus. There may be 900 million believers, but there are 7.7 billion people in the world today. Two out of three people are not only spiritually lost, they have no one living around them to tell them about Jesus, even if they want to. They have no cell phone, no internet, no radio, no church, no Bible. Christmas and Easter are not in their calendar. We talk about the second coming of Christ, while these people have not heard of the first coming. The task for evangelism and mission is still great. The harvest is plentiful, but where are the workers? Well, Jesus, this is what Jesus said to the church in verse 38. He says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know what Jesus is talking about? Jesus is talking about mobilizing. We can mobilize the church to pray. If the believers cannot go, they can pray. I shared earlier on in one of my messages that the person behind William Carey and his ministry is his sister who was paralyzed from neck downwards. She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't, her, her, her movements were limitate, limited, but she was praying and praying, and with her mouth, she wrote letters to her brother, assuring him of her prayers and her support. My first experience in a prayer, in a big prayer meeting, was at the O.N. prayer meeting. There were about 30 odd people around there gathering in small groups, and they had with them a prayer cards. These were little cards that print with the name of the nations in front and a map and then in the back there were two or three points about what to pray for those countries. Now I don't remember much about the country I was praying for the evening but I was very impressed with the sincerity and the urgency of the prayers and these people were asking God to send up people into some of these countries. You know to work as missionaries and as workers and it was this exposure to this prayer and the needs of it that i finally responded and said here am i lord send me and if you do that earnestly jesus the lord of the harvest will send our laborers into his harvest field i prayed with these people i felt the call and i responded now it is interesting to note That the Greek word used here for sending out, the word ekbalo, the Greek word, is the same word used for casting out demons. So I like to say to people that sending out missionary and casting out demons is the same thing. Um, But the word ekbalo is a strong word. In John chapter 2, when Jesus drove out the money money changers, and what happened there? The word says that he expelled them. He sent them out. He, he dispersed them. And he drove them out. He chased them out. So he expelled them. And what's happened? And that's what happened when the people of God come to pray together. And I, um, I, I love pomegranate. And when I was living in China again, in my stories about China, uh, there was a season where they sell pomegranate really cheap, inexpensively. For very little money you can buy, quite a few. So I decided to invest my pocket money on pomegranates and then brought them home. And um, then I have a dilemma. I don't know how to open a pomegranate. I've never opened one before. And so I thought, um, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna squeeze the pomegranate and um, so I took the fruit put them between my, 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 my two palms and I squeezed very hard and at that moment when I squeeze it you know the whole fruit crack and all the seeds inside ekbalo out of the fruit and it was scattered all over the floors every corner of the dining room so that is what ekbalo means it means to disperse you know, to explode, to drive out. So when Jesus said that, he is asking us to earnestly pray that God will send out his workers and his laborers into the field. The kind of, this kind of casting, this kind of mobilizing can only come out of prayers and fasting. So when Jesus went he saw. And when he saw, he was filled with compassion for the lost. And when he f- was filled with the compassion, he responded and he acted. And in the same way, you know, I hope that we as a church of Jesus Christ, you know, through this event of missions conferences, through our interactions with others and the scriptures as well, that we will be convicted by God that something inside us will stir so that we can respond to the Great Commission by going into the world and teaching and baptizing people and discipling them to grow up in the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you once again for your word, for your instructions that we are not to stay still, but that we are to go and to bring your word out to the people who has yet to hear about the salvations that you have brought into the world. And even as we, Lord, spend this week together, uh, let us reflect, Father, and continue to speak to us that you will stir in us something in our hearts that we may respond to your prompting. We pray for obedient heart, And we pray for the willing heart as well. In Jesus' name, amen.